0: Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the
1: back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And as always, thanks again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 64. Speaking of the number 64, that is precisely the amount of strokes Francesco Molinari had in the final round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational this past weekend. He is the new champion. Looks like we had a lot of our listeners out there at Bay Hill enjoying the tournament. Always good seeing that. I was actually in Orlando for a couple days this past week as well. I didn't make it out to the tournament, but I did swing by the Winter Park Golf Course, affectionately called WP9. I was there for their casual Friday skins game, and truthfully, it was one of the more enjoyable rounds of golf I've played in a long time. Winter Park Golf Course was originally built in 1914, but over time had fallen into bad shape, and around 2016 they were about to lose the course due to disease. But the city rallied and invested some money into a restoration project, and architects Keith Rebb and Riley Johns did an absolutely incredible job. The layout is eclectic creative and fun yes fun the green complexes are absolutely ridiculous but hey we're not trying to qualify for the u.s open here we're trying to have some fun in the afternoon they have back-to-back par fives that are reachable drivable par fours and challenging par threes you name it wp9 has it in fact there's also uh train tracks involved in the cemetery this place really need to check this place out the skins game can fill up pretty quick so make sure that you call ahead and save your spot that's exactly what i did and um, and an impromptu media outing actually broke out because I joined the final group, which was a sevensome. That's right, a sevensome, and that included none other than Matt Janella, Gary Williams, and Jaime Diaz from the Golf Channel. Great guys that enjoy talking golf while they're actually playing golf. Gary has a new podcast called One Up, which is terrific and worth a listen. Jaime just started one alongside Brandel Chambly. And we were also joined by Jason Bruno, senior golf writer at Lynx Nation. So I'm going to put links to all their work in the show notes of this podcast. I'll put the link to WP9 as well. So go check that place out. And special thanks to Matt Janelle for being the ringleader, so to speak, of this Friday game. You know, a lot of people talk about growing the game. This guy's actually doing it for his community each and every week. So before we get to this week's guest, again, quick reminder, please leave a review in Apple Podcast. Here's why. The more reviews, the more episodes, the more guests. That's how it's going to work. So please do that. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to shoot me an email, visit the website, thebackoftherange.com. All the episodes, everything that you need to know about the podcast, you'll find it there. This week's guest is Paul Tesori, PGA Tour caddy. And right now, he's probably doing last-minute prep with the player's champion, Webb Simpson at TPC Sawgrass. How did this whole episode happen? Well, a good friend of mine, Kevin Hammer, he was actually a guest back on episode five. He went to the University of Florida with Tesori. So I asked him, I said, do you think there's any way that I can get Tesori before the players? About an hour later, I got Paul's number. I got everything all set up and we're going to record his episode the following morning. Well, I had to kick our research team into gear. And of course, that, that means me. And get some bio information prepared, some questions prepared, and you know what? We ended up speaking with Paul for (laughs) nearly two hours. The first thing that he said was, ask me anything that you want. And we did. We spoke about his days with Vijay Singh. We spoke about his college days as an All-American at Central Alabama, and then his All-American stint at Florida. While he did play a handful of events as a player on the PGA Tour, Paul has been a caddy on tour for nearly 20 years and has been on the bag with VJ, Jerry Kelly, Sean O'Hare, and since 2011, Webb Simpson. We covered a lot. The Ryder Cup, the USGA, the Masters, the Watsons, Bubba, and Tom, but the very first thing we discussed was the Tesori Family Foundation. I was thinking about breaking this episode into two parts, but I didn't do it. I wanted everyone to have the same experience that I did. It's a big episode, both in length quality of content, and it is rich in stories. So if you're a back-of-the-range diehard, you are really going to enjoy this one. So we had a Hall of Famer on last week in Dottie Pepper. This week's guest, he's a member of the National Junior College Athletic Association Hall of Fame, Paul Tesori. Thank you for joining me here at the Back of the Range.
0: Ben, thanks for having me on. Um, I like that intro. That's a good one. I've never had that one before. You said Hall of Famer. I'm like, where's he going with this? Does he know something? I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> those were those were some good days when I can hit that little ball a little better than I can now. And uh, even though my job now is a lot more uh, conducive to good sleep at night, I would say.
1: Oh, I, I can imagine you're hauling a 50-pound staff bag around uh, <laughs> around uh, at least uh, what 30, 35 times a year at some point. Exactly.
0: You, you know. Exactly, and not having to worry about those five-footers the next day either kind of helps uh, the anxiety a little bit. Yeah, you
1: let other people worry about that stuff. You just bring the bag. Exactly. That's not your job. Yeah, They hit the ball. Exactly. I'll let him go worry about
0: that. Yeah, you
1: don't stress about that at all. It's fine. Um, No way, no way. Yeah, so before we talk about your day job, uh, before we talk about what most people know you for, which is being a PG tour caddy that's worked for uh, Vijay Singh, Jerry Kelly, Sean O'Hare, and currently, obviously, with the Players Champion, Webb Simpson, I want to start with something that's very important to you. I want to get it right in front of our listeners before we ever get started on anything else. Talk to me about the Tesori Family Foundation. Man, what
0: a great place to start. Um, you'll, you'll have to probably tell me to stop at some point. But no, yes, I uh, no, I won't. No, I won't. Our foundation, we founded it uh, late in 2009, and uh, my wife, who runs nonprofits for a living, I'd always told her it was something that I wanted to do, and My excuse was the same I think a lot of us use that, you know, I didn't want to do something halfway. I wanted to wait. And she said, No, that's ridiculous. That's an excuse that, you know, if you can change one life now, uh, and then you make it to two, and then you go to four and eight, and you just, you do what you can when you can do it. And so we started it then. And The first five years we really just focused on a lot of homeless shelters in north florida and uh senior centers just trying to uh go do activities with them and then obviously with the homeless shelters help them financially but also with time going to serve um the men and and women that were there and uh it was kind of small obviously at the beginning and then uh for those of you that don't know my story and uh on january 4th 2014 um my son was born isaiah Uh, He had a few complications. Uh, All of them went away. He just uh, happened to have an extra chromosome, uh, trisomy 21, aka Down syndrome. And very, very quickly, um, he started changing our life all for the better. And it gave us a little bit more of an avenue, a push, a heartbeat, a passion, whatever you want to call it, uh, to where we wanted the foundation to head. And now most of our programs all have to do with the special needs community. Uh, we still do some work with senior centers and with the homeless shelters as well. But um, you know, for us, our passion lies with uh, the community of uh, boys and girls like my like my son. So, uh, yep, my favorite events coming up. Uh, we've got uh, we have five of them throughout the country now. But uh, the one we do here at TPC, it's called the All Star Kids Clinic. Um, me and Jordan Spieth put on a clinic uh, for twenty five kids with special needs um and they are the all-stars for the day we have one-on-one instruction from pga tour players caddies and uh pga tour teachers um and we just kind of introduce the game to them let them have a lot of fun give them some good instruction go eat some nice pizza after the three uh, we do putting chipping and driving and nice um yep after those are over we go eat a little pizza and uh have a good time and i uh, do one with weber up in uh, charlotte and uh now we have a few other tournament directors uh, that are getting on board as well so we're excited about that and um, you know, for for me, that's my passion. My wife, we do something called the Buddy Basket Program, where a lot of people, especially this day and age where, you know, so much is being made of, um, you know, a pre diagnosis of kids with special needs about potential abortions and stuff like that. We, man, if anybody could meet my son, they would know there's nothing wrong with him. I think I might be missing a chromosome at <laughs> times, but uh, we just do a basket of about $3,000 worth of goodies that have nothing to do with autism down syndrome or anything else that uh, these these kiddos might have we just want to help them celebrate the birth of their child and yeah we didn't get to do that uh you know he was whisked away and um, within minutes after he was born and, and we didn't get to celebrate it. We've spent so much time researching. We just want people to remember, Hey, celebrate the birth of your child. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and go from there. So, uh, we just passed the million dollar mark last year. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you about yes. that. I
1: know you were close around November, uh, right around November I mean, time, and, right?
0: You know, the, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I try to be careful sometimes cause I, I think it comes off as being braggy, but it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing oh, to do man. with my wife or my son. Yeah. It's just We've been giving so. We've been given so much in this world, uh, so much, uh, I, and giving back even just a little bit that we have, and we want to continue to go. And, and Passing that mark has more to do with everybody else. Yeah. helping us pass that mark than it does with I, I, us i
1: think you'll get a pass for bragging on on, the, well, on that I, I, <laughs> yeah, well thank you yeah we'll let that one slide um
0: well ben thanks i, I appreciate it and so uh, if anybody wants to check us out to sorry familyfoundation.org we got a lot of different um programs that we're doing and you can get involved with a walk a mile on my shoes or any of these other things or uh you know we would ask just pray for us and just pray that we'll be able to continue to just give back in all the areas that we can to a game. You know, it's been so good, obviously, to me and my family and uh, any part we can to give back, uh, we look forward to.
1: No, absolutely. And we will, uh, obviously, I'll put the uh, link to the website in the show notes of this episode. So for people listening, definitely hop in there, check it out. It's It's a great organization. They're doing, I mean, it's actually just a, great organization and great there's just fun stuff all over this website i've been looking at the website and there's just these just awesome stuff it, so
0: it, it, anybody that knows me knows that's a lot of my wife that makes everything look so good all I'm right. not possible to do just that
1: so brilliant brilliant husband man i just you, i'm just going to going to teach us a lot here um i mean all right so here's a question i want to ask you about kind of tied into to the family foundation you have all these pga tour players that that help out and donate their time uh, whether it's, you know, their time for the clinic or maybe they're signing a flag or doing something. But let me get behind the curtain a little bit. Who is one of the PGA Tour players? Obviously, they're all gracious enough to donate their time. Who's the big softy that you know you can get that just maybe the casual fan sees the the stoic and serious guy on the right. course, and this guy right. just melts into just a puddle. He just looks like a basket of puppies. Right? Yeah. Who's the guy? What a
0: great what a great question um you know obviously the two that pop in but they don't do the stoic part that'd be jordan uh spieth and and weber they've both done a lot but the one i think that surprises people yeah. the most uh is is bubba watson um well he cries all the
1: way but he cries on the golf course at a drop of a hat that's so you, true you that's can't true. use you know, bubba no 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 no, no. yeah
0: can't it gets use this bubba. reputation as being a bad guy and all this other kind of stuff but the guy just he can't do more for you. All right, so we're we're gonna let that. That guy owns that
1: guy. That guy owns a candy store in Florida. We're not gonna. not letting that. <laughs> come on.
0: And a baseball team. And on. a baseball. team. That, guy, that guy's just a
1: big kid. He. he you know. Yeah. So, so give. That, me, so give me the guy that's just the like. Wow, even that you were surprised. They're like, wait a minute, this guy really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly right, man. That's gonna be a tough one for me. Um, you yeah. know, one of the guys I think that has. Um, they haven't really done as much. I would say maybe on the financial side, but he has said any time that he needs his time, it'd be Sergio Garcia. Yeah. And, Yeah. And, and, you know, Sergio, um, especially me as an American, we've all had our own problems with Sergio in the past, but (laughs) you know, when you get that man off the golf course, um, and and even with us on the course, I mean, he's always been great to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's always said, Paul, if you need help with your clinic at any time, just don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call. Um, and you know, that, that that's a pretty special thing, especially for, for a guy like him. Um, a guy, obviously that's not an American right um, even though he's now married to one and has a uh has, has a beautiful daughter that is one as well but i think he would be the one that points out and and phil mickelson as well i i doubt that will surprise people but a guy that's yeah. as busy as him he told me obviously anything that he needs uh, or that i need uh not to hesitate to call him um yeah. kind of a cool thing last year um we did our first one that was done by a tournament director and i had chris stroud i had da points i had um ben crane um they all came up to me and they were just teary eyed um yeah talking about doing the clinic so th- th- these things will break men down in a hurry uh and i i even remember la getting a, uh you know joe Lacava, tiger's caddy getting yeah. worked up when he came and did one with me so um it, it's definitely with they all do it to give back and then they get there and they realize nope we, it was more for us than it was for the kids. So yeah. it's been pretty special to watch.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great lesson everyone. Go volunteer somewhere. Just you know, get outside yeah. of yourself and go, go spend a day in the soup kitchen, go spend a day at a first yeah. tee program. Just go, go do something like that. And It's and-
0: so hard. I've never minded giving my money, but I've always hated giving my time until I realized, Oh, this is actually for me. Um, yeah, exactly. instead of me thinking it's for others, it actually ends up being for yourself.
1: No, absolutely. And your and you said your wife. I and I, you know, we we do a little bit of research here. By we, I mean just me. And, um, <laughs> so your wife runs charitable organizations for professional athletes. She does. She does. Um, you know, I've always kind of wondered. You know, you see every athlete seems to have something, and how the hell do these things pop up, and who's behind them? So your wife is someone that that does things like this how long has she been doing that for we're going to talk so, about you later just, you, you just yeah just exactly
0: and, yeah and and again I'll, if anybody ever meets us they'll spend more time talking to her she's much better looking much smarter um she's got it all um in, in those areas so she uh she was in major league baseball for about seven years with the rays uh she's always been in sports pretty much her whole life she was a um sports physio sports uh physiology major uh when she was up in Vermont and. Um, Michelle's always given back. She's worked for other people. And so she started, um, in 2008, she started working for a company that ran, um, non and now her and, uh, another girl own a company and that's what they do. Um, they just run, um, Athletes Nonprofits for a Living. She's been in all sports. She's She's been with NHL, running nonprofits there, the NFL, uh, MLB. Now she's just kind of focusing on the golf world. She's a mom now. Isaiah's five years old, and okay. so her time's a little bit less. Um, but she the, they still have three clients right now, on the golf world, all people that we've heard of and know. And, sure. um, you know, she loves that aspect of it. She loves helping them find whatever their niche is. I think she realizes even more now because for us – while we liked the foundation, we did not have a heartbeat for it until right. Isaiah was born. Right, and right. she tries to help people find their heartbeats. And uh, you know, when she when she was with Duffner, Duffner has always been um, just trying to uh, uh, trying to end. Childhood hunger, and so for as soon as she found his heartbeat, it was easy to run the foundation. You know, with the Mayhans, they're very, very similar, and wanting to give back as far as being able to uh, do childhood hunger. And then you got a guy like Jordan Spieth, who even though Michelle doesn't run his foundation, she helps them a little bit. And you know, Jordan is always going to be the special needs community. Yeah, they just yep. built a huge multi-million-dollar playground that is catered to that. So uh, again, her passion comes in helping others get back uh, in areas that maybe we don't have the financial capabilities to do.
1: And I would imagine, uh, I mean, to have the support because you're on the road all the time and it's not like you come home from uh, a week on the road where you're fresh. You've been out walking 10, 15 miles a day carrying that bag. I mean, how important is it that she gets it as far as what it's like being out on tour and able to provide you the support since she's working with athletes or she has worked with athletes. So she's no stranger to this.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a big aspect of it. Um, I think certain times in my life, uh, if I was dating somebody or in a relationship, I think they said, Oh yeah it'll be fine. But then when the season would start, they're like, Oh, this sucks. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. And you know, I don't always come back my first few days, uh, you know, as passionate energetics, I should, I'm doing better at that. Actually, the older I get just remembering, Hey, when you walk in that, door you're now a dad and a husband so let's go you know this is not a time to go put your feet up so getting better that and she understands the grind she understands the disappointments she understands the excitements and so she kind of always knows what to say when to say it um and she's just been a great partner through it all and also you know i've had to do it a few times with her too when either you know clients may have disappointed her uh and i can't name names there but uh if other things have happened and, and she's been through tough times they're like you know babe we just got to keep giving back just keep pushing yeah. forward and she's always been a great uh, a great place to dive on that and, and again people that know me know that she must be an angel for dealing <laughs> with some of my uh, junk when i come Man. home i'm a little too competitive at times and so you know you come home a little i don't know depressed is the right word angry even sometimes you get a little bit of all that still goes on i've learned to let it go quicker but you know you still get those emotions that come
1: into play sure sure well let's uh, let's kind of pivot give a little bit of background to people listening about uh you know you weren't always a caddy um i i i don't know how many people know that you actually did play on tour and how you got on tour is just i wouldn't say funny but it's a little unexpected because you know you're native floridian as am i and then you go you go to central alabama junior college tell me about that experience tell me a good coach dave Jennings story when you're at central alabama well, I had a
0: different coach actually when I was at Central Alabama, um, but I, I've got a great story. I got a great story about Dave and, and my other coach. So, um, you know, my dad, my family, uh, we, we didn't come from a lot of money, but, but my dad never, uh, he, he never let me want for anything. Um, he always held a membership at the old Ponce de Leon down in St. Augustine. doesn't exist anymore. It was an old Donald Ross golf course, but he always made sure I had a place to play. And when it came time to go to college, because we couldn't afford to, you know, go travel the AJGA and stuff, my name yeah. wasn't there. I was a good player, and so junior college was the only way for me to go at the time. And um, the local community college at the time was SCCJ. They were a top three um, uh, program, but they they didn't think I was good enough to go play, which just kind of helped me even a little more. So I went to central alabama community college where i was ranked first in the country my first year um and uh and all of junior college which was funny we won the national championship my first year there yeah. um which was which was great and we had a we had a coach then by the name of Maxie Bowles, and Maxie was your old school kind of maybe football coach that just happened to coach golf as well and he was good at recruiting guys to come in and so his teams are always really good and remember when I first got there, he, uh, he said, I only asked three things of you because I need you to practice five days a week. I need you to work on your short game. And when you putt, there's only one goal. And that's 60, 40, 60 front leg, 40 back leg. And I looked at him, I said, coach, there wasn't anything in there about school. He goes, ah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: <Nice>. <laughs> so I,
0: I knew right away I had gone to the right spot. And then later on Dave Jennings, uh, who is now the coach at central Alabama, won a couple national championships himself and, you know he uh he's been really kind he's the one that uh, put my name in um to be included in the uh, junior college hall of fame um and uh, that ended up passing through I was very thankful for dave uh, on that who has survived cancer good player himself and has become a friend and so you know junior college for me was the right thing to do because when i left junior college um, i had full rides pretty much anywhere i wanted to go um funny thing i grew up a Seminole, um the biggest Seminole you've ever seen dad graduated aunts uncles everybody and I had a full ride to Florida state, but at the time their golf program was struggling and I ended up accepting, uh, my only non full ride offer and that was to go to Florida at 72%, uh, scholarship, which was obviously the arch rival of Florida state. Of course, uh, <laughs> ended up being, uh, the best decision I ever made in my life I was able to be part of the national championship team over there in 93. And, uh, just to be able to, to play, to work with, to learn from some of the best players in the country at the time. And, you know it's funny because back then we used to kind of feel bad for georgia and alabama when it came to golf and
1: no you know those are the ones on.
0: uh yeah we did they weren't they just weren't good um to be honest with you and now you look around and florida's back jc deacon's done a good job over there but uh you know alabama and georgia it seems like every time somebody wins a tournament on tour right now it's either from georgia or alabama so yeah. um those those were some great years for sure um years that i'll uh, always hold dear i knew how good i had it then and I look back now and, and still repeat the fact that I had a good.
1: It, I think it's important that you highlight the fact that junior that junior or that community college golf was very uh, important because we have a lot of listeners whether they're uh, parents of juniors or juniors themselves getting ready to go that college route. Um, that shaped you. It sounds like. I mean, that, it did. Yeah. So you don't go to you don't go straight to Florida. You have. I mean, you you w- you wouldn't have been going straight to Florida if it wasn't no. for. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and, you know,
0: I think sometimes we get I have one theory when it comes to golf. If you want to do it, go someplace you can play as much golf as possible. And I don't believe in this thing. You need to be a little fish in a big pond or whatever. You need to go someplace where you're playing a ton of golf. Uh, Nothing can replace tournament golf. And, you know, you look at, you know, some of the great decisions that were made. Uh, I look at Tiger's career versus like a Michelle week and you know tiger's career his dad never forced him into anything bigger than he was ready for and and what i mean by that is he stayed winning local tournaments until he was ready to move on and then he started winning bigger tournaments until he was ready to move on but you know he didn't compete in uh, pga tour events he he played in one when he was 16 but he missed the cut i think in six amateur or six tour events when he was an amateur yeah he just allowed him to continue to grow he played two years in college at stanford and Um, You know, like, I think as as you look through that, and then you look at Michelle Wee, who she never competed against girls her own age ever. And you didn't maybe see that same ability to close or the same ability to handle pressure uh, in the same way. And so I always try to tell everybody, you know, now, obviously, if you're you know, a stud. And you're going. To, yeah, go to your four-year school. Go, go win golf tournaments. But if not, there's nothing wrong with going to a junior college. Again, I, I didn't have really many offers at all. I really had no offers to four-year schools when I left high school. And when I left junior college, I had I could have gone almost anywhere. So, there's a lot of positives that come from that, and it also allows you, you know, to do well in studies while you're trying to learn the game
1: i like how you threw in that trying to do well in studies after you told us. <laughs> i right. had to you know i just I, yeah. told the story about. It, poker, i know so I, to, I know you had, had to i mean me. this is for the kids i totally get it well i mean basically it sounds to me like what you're saying is forget about being a big or a small fish in a pond go make your own pond
0: exactly i love that yeah great great line
1: yeah all right so i no stranger that uh kevin hammer was a previous guest on this podcast back i think episode four back way back in season one He's a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, and I know that you played college golf with him at Florida. I always like getting guests to talk about previous guests that they know. And I have in my notes, when he says, hey, you know, you got to talk to Tesori, I have this one note here, and I still don't know what it means, but he texted it to me, and he says, ask Tesori about the hours of nintendo he played with chris couch at the university of florida <laughs> what is what does that mean uh, can you elaborate on this? yes
0: I, I definitely can um so i don't know how else to picture this except i don't think the girls will understand this but the boys will um so when i first went to florida um i, I got along with everybody but very quickly me and chris couch uh, who most uh, most of us know um tour winner uh i yeah. think one what six times on the web.com and south uh, florida guy in new south orleans florida, yeah. yeah south florida guy i think three-time all-american just a just a stud and me and him quickly became friends we were roommates we did everything together we were pretty much inseparable and one of those everything's together happened to be tech mobile which was a football game on nintendo
1: oh you and, are speaking my language man yes, we're not even talking about golf anymore yes yes
0: did. yes so it was me him and uh, another really good player at the time part of that national Championship team guy hill uh we were all uh staying in the dorm together in back-to-back rooms and we all love video games and the thing about techno bowl there was always two teams that couldn't be beat and it was the oakland raiders who had bo Bo jackson Jackson. yep and it was the philadelphia eagles who had randall cunningham and so you weren't allowed to be those two teams and whoever won the super bowl one year you got to pick your team the next year and so if you fell asleep at any point Your game got um, simulated, and if you lost, then there you go. You're going to be out. And so uh, we basically wouldn't sleep, and we kind of stopped going to school. And uh, (laughs) Buddy Alexander Alexander was our coach at
1: the time. Oh, yeah, and And you don't want to mess with Buddy Alexander.
0: Exactly, and we could not field a team to go to Vegas for the last term of the fall in 1992 because – uh we were academically ineligible i i was leading the barrage of four of us um that were ineligible at a 1.8 um <laughs> the, the, i was the the highest gpa of that four you were
1: the uh, you were the you were the smartest idiot is what you're I saying i was the
0: smart because if you don't go to class to pull a 1.8 is actually pretty good um and so uh, after that semester uh buddy put a, a big kibosh on all the games and um he started something called buddy hall so we had study hall and buddy hall oh,
1: and uh, no. it was
0: a mess but i remember one meeting that we were in and, and buddy said you know if, if you guys could have any wish what would it be and i raised my hand goes what would you want i said an infrared uh, sega infrared nintendo oh. so nobody could see it and i just remember the time uh even he had a laugh on that one to go but we learned our lesson and uh, very quickly we all got our grades up and then won the national championship uh four months later five months later after that so um it was a it was a fun story and you know kevin's not fair because kevin did great in school uh he looks like he belongs in a gq magazine it's somewhere. Awful, isn't it he was smarter than all of us he swung the club better than all of us he scored better than all of us he looks better than all of us um and so anytime kevin gives you a hard time you just gotta smile and wave because I, I don't think he's even made a mistake even to this day uh so i have no goodies on him none it's an- absolutely
1: it, it, none. it's annoying isn't it
0: it, it is annoying. Yeah, it still is. Um,
1: that is an incredible story because when I think of Division One college golf, NCAA, and I mean you guys national champions, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking just a, you know, everyone's toeing the line, everyone's super strict, and you're telling me it's literally it's it's not as bad as Animal House, but it's pretty damn right. close.
0: Right. Well, and you know, in the the our arch rival at the time, even though we liked him a lot, was Oklahoma State, who yeah. they had the prettiest swingers in the world. Everybody was clean cut. Um, they all swung it great. They were smart. They did great in school and all that. And we were kind of the, we were kind of the bad news bears bunch (laughs) that came in with all our different hatchet golf swings. We all had different moves and all that kind of stuff, but yet, uh, we were still able to somehow get it done, which is nice.
1: That's awesome. So you, you get out of Florida and I mean, is it fair to say that you didn't set the world on fire at UF when you're playing college golf? Yeah.
0: I mean, I was an all American my senior year. Um, and uh, I actually played number one on the team with Brian Gay and Chris Couch uh, my senior year, right? Um, which was uh, for me was good, but I was never as talented as anybody else. Um, I had a lot of heart. Coach always said if there was a foxhole in it, he'd want me there with him, right. um, which I knew what that meant. I loved it. But it also means you're not as good as these guys, but somehow you still stay with them.
1: Right. So- and
0: and. And it was it kind of ended up be becoming true, you know, the older I got. And I actually knew it was true. I didn't take it offensively when he said it. Um, always had a little bit of, of reality um, in, in my heart at the
1: time anyway. So, and, and the reason that I mentioned that is just to kind of, the reason I said that is to kind of illustrate your choice to then try and play professionally and go to Q school. Um, yes. And so you're going as, was it just kind of like, hey, let's give this a shot because if I don't, I'm always going to regret it. Is that Was that kind of your mindset?
0: Yeah, I, I had a three-year plan. Okay. Um, okay. I got I got a, I stayed an extra year after '94 to get my degree. So. Um, I wanted to give it uh, 95, 96, and 97, uh, three full years of playing golf. And I was playing well on the the, um, many tours and everything, but you never know. And I remember some veterans at the time told me your best chance to get through Q School is your first try. And that didn't make sense to me. They're like, because you don't understand
1: what it means. And you have no scar tissue, and you just
0: Exactly. And sure enough, straight straight through. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that is
1: the craziest thing, because, like, you go to Q School in 96, and it's – I don't know at the time, was there really a, a pre-qualifier or was it just first, second, and final?
0: It was just first, second, and third stage. Yeah. Okay.
1: So you get through all three stages, and yeah. I, I think I've read somewhere where you realized you were young. You realized you weren't ready for the PGA Tour, but you're in the moment. You get in, and now you're in the PGA Tour you're there i mean just to to you know level set for people listening so 97 this is the year obviously Mm -hmm. tiger wins the masters this is the yeah boom so to speak of of tiger mania where he just takes charge go ahead tell me what that first year on tour is like well you know it was so interesting um i think again it worked
0: in my favor but going to 96 the 96 q school which was
1: my first one and you know, I,
0: I told my parents and, and everybody when I went out, my, my goal was not to get on tour. Um, I, I, I wasn't good enough. I knew that at the time. I said, guys, I'm not good enough yet. Um, I've never really traveled, uh, and I need to learn how to travel. I need to learn how to do everything on my own. I need to learn how to practice. I need to learn how to play. I need to learn. I was always very introverted at the time. Um, and so I'll, I need to learn how to play in front of crowds and, and all these things. And, you know, sure enough, there you go. I think a little bit of that is probably why I got my card. And, So I got my card um, and 97, I'm on tour. And as soon as I get on tour, as soon as I get through, uh, okay, I got to start practicing and (laughs) that was probably the worst thing I ever did. I was always a player. I I would play 27 holes a day as as much as possible. I never really practiced, and I had a very homemade golf swing, a very field-oriented golf swing, and um, probably one of the worst things I did was that next move, and I was from St. Augustine, Ponte Vedra, so I started practicing at TPC with David Duvall, Vijay Singh, everybody else. Me and Beach became friends quickly, and I started practicing six hours, seven hours, eight hours a day, and um, by the time I got on tour, I was really—I thought I was ready to go—and um, just some major struggles. Uh, physically, there were some issues.
1: Yeah, you had Mentally, like a torn labrum issues. in your shoulder, right? I
0: did. I had a torn uh, rotator cuff and labrum, which I ended up having repaired. And I tried to play through, and that was in '97. And um, I played—I uh, think I played nine events in '97. Uh, missed a cut in seven, withdrew in two, and. Um, it took almost a year and a half of rehab, came back in 99 and, uh, I played in, I think eight, one, I think it was 17 total events. So eight more events and didn't make the cut in any, you know, and for me, I mean, it was the most traumatic time I had ever been through at the time. I mean, I loved golf, but it quickly left me and I realized that was the one thing that had always been there. And my mind never came back. I developed the swing yips, um, and my body got stronger um but yet still kind of from all those popping days i, I developed a little hitch in my swing and, and they were the yips I, I can't really hide anything else that they were and yeah. it drove me away from the game for all at least a dozen years to be honest with you i just uh, i couldn't get myself i turned down invitations to go play augusta pine valley all these other areas and what's funny looking back on it is i got a phone call in late summer of 2000 it was vj and Uh, vj asked me to come work for him for a week and i did and at the end of the week he hired me as his coach and the week after that he hired me as his caddy and uh you know it was something i never knew that i wanted to do uh i never knew that was going to be something that i that i'd be good at um and as hard as it was to work for vj at the time i can't be more thankful for two things number one he gave me the opportunity but number two he taught me everything Oh, And the guy was a genius when it came to golf.
1: Well, I can, you know, it's funny you mention that because I'm thinking, not to play on words, but to to hang out at the back of the range with anyone and, and it's Vijay Singh, and then you actually get his bag. You don't know anything about caddying at this time, do you? I mean, I'm sure you loop for a couple. I know, I'm sure you loop for buddies and little, you know, yeah. little tournaments here and there, maybe a wit- right. Tour thing. But So you've never caddied in the PGA Tour. You've no. never really caddied for a professional golfer. And no. instead of getting like a young rookie that doesn't know anything like you or some veteran that's kind of like, "Eh, I I kind of do my thing. Just carry the bag. Just, you know, don't steal anything out of my bag. You get the guy that is like the Zen master who is the.
0: Exactly. And you know, at the time I remember thinking, you obviously it was a great job uh, making more money than I'd ever thought of at the time. But um, you know, it, it, it seemed like a, a, it was such a hard job. He was a friend of mine. But it was an extremely hard job. Um, and I had 11 days off in 01 total out of 365 and 13 days off in 02. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, I lost marriage, I lost family, all these other things because life became work. And there were some years there where I had harbored a little bit of bitterness and all that, but I realized that was all on me. It wasn't on him. I was just following the lead, and that's what he did. And You know, not until I ended up working for someone else did I realize just how much BJ had taught me about the game. I had, if I would have started with the guys, like you said, I don't think this would have been my career. And I definitely would not have become the caddy that I became. I wouldn't have had the reputation. I wouldn't have known all these little inside secrets that I didn't even know BJ was teaching me. He just demanded them. And he was teaching me at the same time. I almost feel like it's a little bit of like, Miyagi uh yeah 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 you know, wax with, on uh, wax off and all of a sudden yeah, yeah exactly yeah. all those little things remember Daniel's son he he got mad at Miyagi uh, or, or Mr. Yeah. Miyagi for a while he's like what are you just making me work you're not teaching me anything yeah until it was time and not until I picked up the bag for Jerry did I realize oh my because Jerry was like I can't believe how good you are I can't believe all these things that you know and I'm like oh
1: I didn't well, know it either, but
0: I didn't know that that was different. Okay, so uh,
1: you you I... so you mentioned that VJ was it was a it was hard it was it was a tough job. Can you pinpoint? Just give me an example of that because when you say it's hard, listeners or I may go to well, it's a heavy bag, and he wants to be on the range after a round, and it's long hours. But is there another thing that you kind of maybe can explain when you say it was well, really hard?
0: Well, yeah, you know, VJ was driven to become the greatest player he could be. Um, you know, he grew up in Fiji. He grew up in, in an abusive household. Uh, he grew up going through a lot of struggles had when we mean nothing I mean day to day was wondering how he was gonna afford to eat sometimes they would just have to boil soup a can of soup to eat um, and to look where that guy went from and where he is now being in the Hall of Fame just contended obviously last week at trying to become the oldest player of all time well, all these areas uh, that he came from he was driven by those things and nothing else um, his life was golf his hobby was golf his passion was golf um everything was that and so when that's the case he wants that and thinks everybody else should think the same way so like i said when i had 11 days off at a 365 and one i mean he thought that was generous like he thought he was being generous giving me time off 11 days um you know the next year too he didn't look at it the same way that we would look at it right. um okay. which would be that's ridiculous and so and you know he was very very he was perfectionist as well so if a club was wrong if a read was long uh wrong um it wasn't always the greatest of communication afterwards let's just say it that way got it And again it didn't always come from a place of maybe a bad heart it came from a place this unbelievable drive and desire uh, to be the best. And I mean, obviously what he was able to accomplish from where he came from is, uh, is pretty incredible. Now, um, you know, me and Veach had two different stints. Uh, we worked together three years the first time and then almost two the second time, but you know, we were friends and it got to the point both times where we didn't like each other. And yeah. if you spend that much, I always say it's like marriage without the sex. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's not a good thing. <laughs> and you, uh, you just get to the point where you need to be away from each other. And especially at the level he was playing at, you know, to be able to be a part of um, uh, his team when he overtook with number one in the world, and then went back and forth with Tiger for another full year. Oh, yeah. um, you know, one, nine times, one eleven 11 times that same year in 04 worldwide. I was part of a couple of those three of us uh, caddy during that year. And then to be a part of 13 wins in three years, just all these other things that you watch and you watch the, progression um of how he got there he only had nine wins at 39 um and ended up with 34 six years later uh which is still uh, an incredible streak uh, that was uh, that was amazing to watch and i can't be more thankful again because of the house i'm in right now the foundation everything else was because he gave me a chance and he taught me um, uh, he's kind of like the, the little caddy guru. Cause all three of the guys that worked for him have now gone on, uh, to do great things, um, after him.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Um, let me see here. I want to kind of shift a little bit here on a couple, just random caddy questions. So, you know, the only time that maybe the average golf fan sees a caddy, whether it's at a tour event or on TV, um, you know, they see them on the course carrying the bag, or you know, tossing a ball to the player to tee up for a driver, or you know, uh, you know, on the putting green. What is one of the biggest parts of your job that that the average fan does not see? What are kind of some of the mm-hmm. other responsibilities that you know are just incredibly important? The player knows are incredibly important, but maybe no one sees.
0: Yeah, I I'd say the, the the first thing that comes out to me is is the course work time. Okay. Um uh, you know, technology has gotten a lot better. So uh our our yardage books are a lot better now than they were 10 years ago. But that being said, um an average caddy in the course of a week without their player is gonna spend about twelve hours on the golf course uh without their player. And you know, a week like TPC where we're gonna be practicing Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, um, it's hard to find those twelve hours sometimes uh to get your work done. Uh, If it's a place that you've been to before or your guy happens to be coming in on Tuesday, it's a little easier. But, you know, each hole we've got to know, um, you know, what our carry numbers are over certain, let's say, you know, like number one at TPC. You know, what's our carry number over the middle of the bunker on the right? What's our carry number over the left edge of the bunker? What's our runouts down the trees down the left? Um, You know, if we got a downwind, pins front left, you know, where's our max number that we want to be able to put spin on the ball? um if you do get wind switches um you know where are we going what are we hitting um where are we trying to place the golf ball so there's a lot of intricacies that go into what make a great caddy great um some players don't need a lot but i would say nowadays i would trying to say 95 percent of the players are going to want all that information i just gave from their caddies or at least have it ready readily available um you know some of us now um i you know, I'm, I've been Webb's swing coach uh, at, at least in half capacity and for a few years in full capacity along the way. He had uh, – Webb had his um, high school golf coach, uh, Ted Kegel, out of uh, Raleigh Country Club was uh, – me and him, you know, did a teamwork for about four years. and Now we go see Butch once a year just to make sure that, you know, we're on the right track. But I'm, I'm Webb's swing coach the rest of the year. And so just making sure that – you know, I'm watching video constantly and, and that we're on track and what we're trying to do. And, you know, another example now is uh, green reading has changed a lot oh, in our yeah. game. Um, with, uh, I'm about to take my first full uh, lesson with Aimpoint Express on Monday of uh, the players. So Monday, what, what is that? What Five days. Uh, yeah. Just because there's so much that technology has helped us with. And, you know, to be able to understand and keep up with the time, almost like anything, uh, continuing education, we got to do it as well to be sure that we're staying on top of uh, things that are going on so and even like last year you know the last uh, the last two days at TPC um, we had hit it in the water on 17 on Friday and I had blamed myself a little bit that I didn't quite know how hard the shot was going to be that day um, because of the wind direction so Saturday and Sunday I went out three hours before a round to make sure I had the numbers dialed in I went and walked the number to the flag so we could practice the shot on the range and watch other guys come in. And so, you know, at times just doing a lot of coursework before even our 2012 U S open, I went out and walked the golf course beforehand. And I noticed one thing about the se- seventh hole par three, the eighth hole par three that, uh, um, that's, uh, I, I at Olympic at Olympic. Yeah. Yes. Um, I watched five groups come in and out of five groups out of 10 guys, nine guys to a back pin came up short of the green. I had never seen anything like it in my life. And we got there uh, during the round. Web one hit a seven iron. And I had to use every Jedi mind trick I knew to talk him into a six iron. And you go back, even the six iron landed short. And what's interesting is Ernie Els, who was, uh, he had actually tied for the lead at the time, later on, he hit a seven iron, I uh, think playing right behind us. And it came up short of the green and rolled 80 yards down the fairway. He made bogey, we made birdie. And, you know, just like little things like that right. that you're able to pick up on. And, and now that was, that was a blessing in and of the same, that was almost miraculous that I happened to see those groups come through and the first group do it. I, and I still to this day don't know what happened is Graham McDowell, who was leading the time flushed a six iron thought he had made it. And it came up short of the green big bogey. And I don't know what happened on that hole that day. I don't know if it was just, you know, it was foggy. It was cold. I don't know if there was some kind of weird little atmospheric condition that was flying through that hole, but Anytime you can pick up on small things like that, um, you know it's going to make the job worthwhile and and makes those extra hours pay off.
1: You mentioned right there about you know Jedi mind trick trying to talk you know Webb into uh, into into a certain shot. You know whenever yeah. I see you two on TV, um, and and there's there's microphones nearby. You know with maybe other players, other caddies. You know you hear kind of the understated caddy player relationship where it's maybe just a very subtle yes or no or here's your number, but you really jump in there with him, and it is just two guys just like you're trying to figure out a puzzle, and it's just a lot of passion with it, trying to get the right number right and right yardage, right aim point, and you are really in his, I don't want to say in his face, but you are yeah. very clear with him, here's what we need to do. How long did it take you to kind of find your voice, so to speak, as a caddy where you're that comfortable with a player on the PGA Tour where you're that forceful saying, here's what we need to do.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I'm going to go back to Veej. Um, you know, he, he established a lot of confidence in me when, uh, Vijay wasn't a guy that needed a lot of information. He didn't need a lot of help, but when he asked for it, you better be there and you better be ready and you better be confident in what you're saying. Um, and so those were kind of those principles that, that helped. And when I went to go work for Jerry and,
1: and this, I was is Jerry, this is Jerry Kelly, Jerry Kelly. Yeah.
0: Yep. I went to go work for Jerry and me and Jerry had a good run together, a president's cup team together over in South Africa. And, you know, it was the first time I say, Oh my gosh. So my, my voice, like he doesn't understand things that VJ already knew, like VJ knew secondhand. Um, and then when I go, went to go work for O'Hare, who was a young guy who hadn't quite found, you know, his niche yet. He hadn't quite found his, his flow yet. Again, these were things that he did not know. And when I went to go work for Weber in 2011, he was 213th in the world and just kept his card and yeah, within within one tournament i'm like oh my gosh he doesn't know the things that the rest or i said the rest of us i didn't know anything the things that i know and i'm not bragging about what i knew i was just taught it by somebody who is going to go down as one of the greatest players that ever lived and and so once you start seeing that, it develops that confidence. And, you know, what's amazing, I told Weber right from the very beginning, I was like, Webb, you know, my goal is after two years, you won't need me anymore. And i got to be honest with you, I do get a lot of credit, and I'm thankful for that. But, you know, Webb's at that stage now in his 10th season. This is our eighth together. And he doesn't need uh, much help from me anymore. And you all do happen to see some of those. There's still – now there's a lot of yeses out of me. Um, okay. There'll still be those couple of times around where – either I disagree with him or I can tell he's a little uncomfortable that I will jump in and you know, Weber gives me the freedom to be me um, where sometimes you have to kind of step around a little bit. You, certain things you can say, can't say, you don't want to say, Hey, you know, that that's our miss spot. We don't want to go to Weber just allows you to say, Hey, you know, obviously we're trying to take the bunker out of place. So this is why I like my seven iron over your six iron. It widens the green up. It allows us to move our target to the right. And he's able to look at that and go, okay, that makes sense. hit 7. Um, where it. some guys you can't mention the missed spot. Some guys you can't talk about where not to miss it. Um, you know, with Weber, he's okay with that kind of – he doesn't want to say, don't hit it in the bunker, but say why you like your 7-iron and give facts. So he gives me a freedom to be me, to kind of say the things I need to say. And I, I work for uh, Joe Scoburn, who works for Ricky Fowler. He calls yeah. Weber the – he calls him the unicorn. Because you hear that guys like this exist, but you didn't know it was real. Um, and, you know, because I tell him, you know, if I have a bad read, Weber's in my ear on the next hole. He's not in my ear telling me bad read. He's like, Paul, keep your confidence up. Come on. I need you. You're like, and like, everybody's like, that doesn't happen. Right. What are you talking about? And so, the only guys are like, man, what kind of read was that? And uh, Weber's the other way around because he gets that. The better me he gets. The more um, uh, positive, the yeah. more confident he gets. He's going to win out.
1: Well, if you, um, you so, got to tell your player to keep his head up after a bogey, then the player should right. be keeping your head up after a bad read or yes. a bad. It's, yeah,
0: it's a rarity. Us golfers are very strange people. Uh, our minds do not work the way a normal person's mind works. Uh, true. All those days alone in your own head for five and six hours, it you, sucks. You kind of develop <laughs> almost a almost a dual personality. Um, but yeah, Weber's. Weber's great about that. And, you know, certain guys like a lot, our our profession has changed so much all for the better. Um, The quality of caddy on that tour now is I used to think I had everybody beat. And now there's just a, uh, there's a lot of me's out there. Um, There are a lot of talented caddies. Some of them we don't get to see every week on TV, um, but uh, there, there's a, the quality of caddy. And now, and of course, anything in life, uh, you know, any business where the money has gone up, there's going to be a huge amount of competition for it. Our, our, our career is no different.
1: Well, you mentioned business. So this leads me into another question I have. You know, whenever we're, we're watching it on TV or we're, we're at an event, you know, we hear about, uh, you know, that guy has a good team behind him. And, you know, you yes. might see the caddy. You might see, well, you're going to see the caddy. And then maybe you'll see the coach. And then maybe the TV guy is going to drop a line about a new, uh, you know, fitness uh, guru yeah. or sports psychologist. I, I'm curious, Web Simpson Incorporated, what does that yeah. look like? Um, yeah, not, so, not, and not necessarily specific names, but does it yeah. run like a company? Are you having monthly uh, meetings? Are you, how much, what's your involvement? I'm just curious. Like we hear about that all the time. Can you maybe pull back the curtain on what like web Simpson incorporated looks like? Yeah. So, you
0: know, I think most of the guys nowadays, their team is going to look very, very similar. Um, obviously each guy has to have a caddy. Um, most guys have a, um, you know, a sports psych, uh, on their team. Now, some guys might use that sports psych weekly. Some guys might use it, uh, monthly. Some guys might use it, you know, semi-annually or something like that, but almost everybody's got a sports psych on their team. Um, most guys have a trainer, uh, on their team and Weber obviously is two for two, for two, three. He's got caddy. He has a sports psych. He has a, uh, he has a trainer. Um, and, you know, w- when it comes to these things, you also have your, your team on tour. So for us, it's Titleist, and we've got two guys that just uh, keep us dialed in, always trying to uh, – Weber's a guy that – he's always been a shorter hitter. Um, he's a guy that has gained some distance. He's gotten stronger. He's gotten more flexible. And, you know, now you need equipment that's going to match it. And so he's sure. got guys always kind of manipulating his wedges and his, uh, and his equipment, too, to try to get the most out of it. Um, obviously, he's got his agent – that's taking care of things. He's got an accountant as well. And, you know, for a guy like Weber, um, he's got, uh, his wife, uh, behind him who is a lot of times the the people that don't get any credit. Um, and wives like, especially like webs and everybody that just, she supports everything he's trying to do. They've got five kids all under eight and for her (laughs) to still, isn't that amazing? And, And she has a great line. She's like, baby, I want you to go practice. Okay, I want you to do your things. All I ask is that, hey, when you're gone, you go to work. But when you're home, you're home. I don't want you at practicing thinking you should be home. I don't want you at home thinking you should be practicing. Um, You know, let's schedule everything. So they schedule. Um, A month in advance, Um, they even sometimes go a couple of months in advance and day by day, hour by hour, what they're going to do, when the workouts are. So the the expectations are good. But you end up looking at the team that he has. We also have a short game coach. Um, And, you know, you you go through and, again, even though I'm a swing coach, we go see Butch, you know, at least uh, twice a year. Yeah. At least once a year, sometimes twice a year. And, uh, you know, Pat Goss is Webb's short game guy. And that's one reason why Webb's major uh, play has gotten so much better, even though Webb's a major winner. Um, he had never had another top 10 until last year. He was one of only two players last year that finished top 20 in every major It's because of the improved short game play. Um, and so, it, you know, it just keeps going, to be honest with you. And um, the guy we always looked at was uh, Zach Johnson.
1: Okay. He's a consummate
0: professional. Um, the guy has done more with I mean he's a talented guy. I don't like what people say somebody's not talented because that's in the eye of the beholder what talent is. But he's a, he hits the ball short in yeah, a nowadays has, yeah. age. And yeah, and he's 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 got a very strong case to be a Hall of Famer. He's got 12 wins, two majors, um, uh, countless Ryder Cup and President's Cup teams. And, you know, he he's never left anything to chance. Um, He has always made sure he's maxed out everything that he has. And that's kind of what Weber tries to do. And you look around now it's it's the tiger woods generation and all the young guys are doing the same stuff um and they're fearless they're working hard you know i remember when i went to college or even when i first came on tour uh only two guys worked out back then and that was keith clearwater and tiger woods and vj was the next guy and then once tiger and VJ started dominating the world all the younger guys started working out and yep. you talked about college you know we our workouts in college where you would run stadiums and then do push-ups on the bottom step before you ran the next stadium and Now you look at some of these teams, I mean, they've got bigger gyms than the football teams did when we uh, were growing or when we went to school. So yeah, yeah, the game has changed uh, an incredible amount and I gotta be honest with you, I think it's for the better. Um, I wish that uh, we could do a little bit of something about some of the golf courses about force carries and stuff, but that that's for uh, another conversation. Another time. Um, But uh, yeah, I think our game's in good hands because of it.
1: How much do you weigh in on setting schedule? how much do you weigh in on yeah. on EV or or equipment i'm kind of curious what is your involvement on how the team operates
0: uh, again i think because of who i work for and you know when i worked for webb when i started working for him uh, you know he was not uh, where he wanted to be yet in the golf world and he relies on me a lot for those kind of things and again the older he's gotten he still kind of tries to rely on me but he doesn't need me anymore he's just nice like he kind of <laughs> needed me his first few years but now, now he's just being nice to me now he really uh i mean he, he's his own man now and he's got such a good team that he kind of knows what he's going to do but okay. we talk about scheduling a lot um he'll start all right like i know my schedule pretty much for the rest of this year um and we've talked about it all to see what makes sense what doesn't make sense what courses are good for us what aren't um with five kids he wants to start playing a little bit less so just trying to see where to trim it equipment wise i do um have quite a bit to say but again we have such a good team now at right. Titleist. uh with our man JJ and Aaron, like, I, again, I try, I think, I think they try to be nice and just try to run it through me. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, I there's really not a whole lot I can do to offer uh, anymore. So okay. I just keep telling Weber, uh, buddy, thank you so much for making me feel important. Um, but really all I'm good for now is to make sure you're, your setup's good, your golf swing's all right, and it, uh, I'm getting those wind club directions right. That's about uh, what, what my job is okay. now, and I'm okay with that. All
1: right, well, let's go back to a time when you really had a lot of input on the direction of Webb Simpson's career. You know, the, the anchoring ban went into effect January 1st, mm. 2016. I think this is mm. pretty well reported that uh, yeah. uh, you, you may have cost Webb a couple bucks by <laughs> suggesting that he move early. So I don't, yeah. don't want to really get into the the litany of of you know what he went through in the in two and a half years i think was when he he really struggled with with the putting but how do you bring up that idea to a pga tour player can you walk us through the process of i'm going to get in this guy's head early let's get ahead of this thing what was his immediate reaction when you brought that up yeah
0: so you know i always thought that weber um, was a good putter, but not a great putter. And statistically, there was a lot of backing to my feeling. And so 2014, um, we were at the Ryder Cup, and we putted poorly over in Scotland at the Ryder Cup. And that was with the belly putter at the time. And the band, we already knew the band was going to take place in 2016, so in another year, a little over a year. And then our last tournament after that was in Sea Island, and we putted really poorly. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we putted poorly at Sea Island. Um, and then, uh, at, uh, at the Ryder cup. And so we had about a month off and I just called him and said, bud, I, I've got something that's been on my heart. I really think you need to listen to me. And so my push was let's get ahead of this thing. The media storm in 2016 is going to be massive. Let's just go ahead and change. Now you're not putting well, it's the right time to go. You've been putting with a short putter on the putting green for the last year, just to mess around, you stroke it good, blah, 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 blah. I, I gave him my whole spiel.
1: Sure.
0: And so he said, he said, yep, let's do it. And then the day before we're going to leave for Japan in November of 2014, he calls me and goes, Paulie, I've been practicing. I don't think it's time yet. I'm going to stay with the belly putter. And I just said, okay. So hung up the phone. Five minutes later, I get a phone call back. He's like, Paul, I know you well enough. You, you don't like that idea. I was like, Weber, you're do- I, I was like, Weber, you're doing it out of fear. I like I was like, that putter's gone. I mean, it, you're not going to be able to use it in over a year. You're not putting great. We didn't have a great year on the greens like you, you it's time to change let's go let's do it now I uh, quit being fearful and called me back an hour later um and he had broken the putter that won him the u.s Open. yeah and, uh, all those other he'd won you know second the fedex cup all these other things won him four tournaments broke it over his knees so he couldn't take it to japan that was his goal and long story short like you just said the next two and a half years were they they were hard um you know it, it worked a little bit with the media, but his putting went, you know, from being a top 50 guy to a hundred and upper 170s. And, you know, he really developed, uh, I mean, I don't know if "developed the, yips" is the right thing, but he had a lot of anxiety putting. Uh, I don't know if it was the yips, but it was pretty close to it. And I mean, he fell all the way down to hundredth in the world. And I did feel responsible. And again, Webb Simpson being Webb Simpson, he's like, Paul, He's like, no matter what, I had to switch. He's like, and the reason why this is him talking, not me, the reason why we had the monster 2018 year, the reason why I'm back in the Ryder Cup, the reason why we're doing all these things is because you had to switch a year early. But Brant Snedeker says, but Polly, you cost him at least $3 million that year. You do realize that, right? Because if you stayed with a belly button an extra year, you'd have been on and, and I mean, Brant's right. And I, I do feel that way, but I guess, you know, in the old way, web's right too, about the switch, we did get ahead of it. We were a year ahead of maybe where we would have been. I don't know. Um, it was just one of those things that I'll always kind of hold with me a little bit. My mind was in the right place. My um, I think my desire was in the right place. It just, it was one of those decisions that did not work out the way I'd hoped it was going to work
1: out. Yeah. Um, the thing I want the thing I want to ask you about 2014 Ryder Cup, you know, that's you know most people think about okay we we lost over there in Scotland and then there's the Phil and Tom Watson spat during the press conference, but I want to ask you this. Um you guys sat three consecutive matches in 2014, didn't you? We did. What do you do to keep your your head normal and his head normal? You you spend 2 years to get to the spot. Talk to me about it was- that
0: that that was harsh um it was uh you know Ryder Cup's the greatest event um for us in the world even when we lose um the camaraderie uh to be with these men um to laugh with them to high five with them to yell with them and even sometimes to cry with them yeah what a blessing it is for me to be a part of and to watch these men go out and battle um 2014 was not a memory that i had very many fond uh thoughts of um you know it was something where the pga thought they'd go a different direction and bring back an old captain being tom watson
1: yeah
0: uh tom tried to lead in a little bit more of a dictatorship role um and you know we are used to having fred couples as our president's cup captain yeah who uh and then davis love in 2012 who was an incredible captain in 2012, and for those that don't remember, we had a four-point lead after team play, which that's all the that is all the captain can really do is yeah. put together. You can't control what we're going to go out and do in singles, and after Seve passing away and all that, I think they might have had a little extra mojo on their side. But you know, for us to then go the exact opposite direction was harsh. I I sat there and watched Tom Watson uh, belittle little. Uh, my boss um, and talked down to to Keegan and Phil um, who also set three straight matches after they had beat the number one two ranked player in the world on Friday in best ball being Rory McElroy and uh, Sergio Garcia they were one of two at the time yeah and they beat him and they set um, the next two uh, the the next day as well all day Saturday and man I just I started to get a little angry to be honest with you um, I mean this is my man he's, he's like a brother to me yeah. Dean Webb and you're gonna talk down to him about his game and it really wasn't warranted and so for me that Ryder Cup was harsh um, there was not a whole lot I could say to Webb. we kept positive um, we practiced we went out and supported our team members um, we went out the next day we drew Ian Poulter shot five under the back the tire match with Ian um, and at the time, it looked like it might matter. We were having a little comeback, but uh, they, they were too tough. And so 2014 is when I've given away all my 2014 Ryder Cup gear. There's a wow. lot of some wonderful polo gear, rain suits, uh, everything else. I just, when I think of 14, I don't have the memories I want to have of a Ryder Cup. Um, I still have a lot of my stuff from 12 and obviously from this past year and 18. But it was just unfortunate. And I don't think, I, I think Tom Watson's a good man. I think it was the wrong decision. Um, Ted Bishop, was the the wrong PGA, decision, yeah. yeah, of the PGA to put him in that situation. He did not have the heartbeat of the tour. He didn't know the guys, and he tried to do a dictator role, and that's just not the way it works. It just it's never worked well on either side, European side or our side. And um, even though we got hammered uh, <laughs> in uh, in Paris this past year, uh, the team is in a great place. The new system we have in is in a great place. We just got beat by a better team this past year, as far as that week goes, and they chose a great golf course for their players uh, to compete with us on, um, and, and that was the difference.
1: Yeah, they don't they don't talk, they talk a lot about the strength of the players, but I mean, can you maybe speak to? And we're just flying all over different topics, but if you are cool, with this, I know we are. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I That's, love it. Okay, cool. Um, we don't. How, how much can you speak to the difference when we have home field advantage, so to speak, in the States versus when they have their home field advantage in Europe where they can set up the course how they want to, we set it up how we want to? Is that one of the biggest differences that maybe doesn't get talked about as much?
0: Absolutely. Um, the PGA is, is taken away a little bit of that. Um, the home team used to be able to set the pins. So if you remember at Hazeltine in 16, on Sunday, uh, there were some pins that were set up a little easier on right, Sunday. Right, and they complained
1: about – yeah, you're complaining a lot they, about the Europeans fact that – Europeans yeah.
0: complained. Well, Davis Love – and uh, I don't mind sharing this. I don't think this is uh, – I don't think this is public record. But um, Davis Love in 2016 uh, – 2012, Davis Love said he made one mistake. He said that he set the pins up the last day. There were too many pins on the right-hand side of the green, and especially on the 17th and 18th hole – um, where matches were going to be coming down to. And what he meant by that was Faders. obviously, we, we were the team. Yep, we were the team with a big lead. We were the team that were going to be feeling most of the pressure. And he put the pins on the right hand side, where when you're feeling pressure, you'd rather put on the left hand side. And we lost. I think we lost. I think we only won one hole out of 17 and 18 out of all the matches. And I think they won like 12. And he said if he had to do over again, he would have put both of those pins on the left hand side. And at first I didn't think much about it, but the more I thought about it, I was like, wow, he's right. And that just goes in to tell you, I mean, look at how much goes into being a captain of a Ryder cup team Oh yeah, where his biggest regret wasn't putting a team together. His biggest regret wasn't where he put out guys in the lineup. His biggest regret is where he chose to put the pins on Sunday. And you know what? He's right. That probably did make the difference. Now it's not Davis loves fault. I mean, we got the best, players in the world going out to battle it out and they should be able to take care of their business and win uh four and a half points obviously on sunday however um it was a big thing so at hazeltine and 16 the pins were much different with davis being the captain very very smart move for him at the time Um, when justin rose complained about it after the round um some things were changed so now the pga of america sets the pins not the Cabins. not not the local team. Yeah. And so I hope they continue to let the local team set the course condition up though. Um in Paris this year we showed up on Tuesday and the course was pretty wet. The first hole for example, we hit 3 wood the first day. By the time Saturday's matches came, we hit 5 iron off that tee yeah. and on our singles match we hit 6 iron because the course had browned out. Well, They had all had some experience there. I think they knew that they were going to make it soft so we would lose our ability to quickly adapt to what was going on. Now, I don't think that's a cheating thing to do. I don't think it's a bad – I think it's, hey, it's brilliant. Why wouldn't they?
1: Of course. One of their
0: advantages. So do it – well, as long as I think we still had that same right – you know, Whistling Straits is more of a bomber's golf course. It's more of a guy that – they have, I think, the straighter drivers of the golf ball for sure, and I think we have the longer drivers of the golf ball for sure, and so I think that uh, we hopefully will have the same ability to play to that hand in two thousand twenty with them straight.
1: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think you're uh, you're kind of sharing anything new because if I remember correctly, well, I mean, you're sharing something new about the pin placements, but um, what I'm getting at is, I believe that it's pretty common knowledge that there is a certain point where there is a captain's blackout with the course. So I think at some okay. point, I think at some point during the week or the week before, on either Sunday or Monday, at least I remember from the 2016 one at Team, there is a blackout where the captains no longer get to talk to a superintendent about course okay. setup or pins or stuff like that.
0: Okay, and I actually think that's a positive thing. Oh, um, me too. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you see football coaches going out. Hey, let's make sure that the field in Jacksonville is wet because we got a great running back coming in from whatever Houston and we wanted to, slip. you know, I don't think you see things like that happening. No. So um, I don't think in golf, it should be that way either.
1: Yeah. Um, let's see random things for me to get your, uh, your well, your...
0: Hey, I'm going to interrupt you. This might be the first time you've ever been interrupted by an interviewer. On, I, 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 I love it. I, <laughs> I got to tell my story here real quick that I everybody loves to hear. So of after we win the play, after we win the players last year, obviously get a lot of congratulatory texts. Um, I had over seven hundred texts, uh, which oh just it's mind blowing to me, and I loved them. I took my time. I think I responded to almost everybody at like by five a.m. I didn't sleep much that night. Um, but one of my favorite texts I always get, and my least favorite at the same time, is Bubba. He always texts Weber and me and Bubba thinks my PGA tour playing career is the funniest career ever. My 0 for 17 cut streak. So he never ever misses an opportunity to remind me that I went 0 for 17. So um my text each time Webb wins. Weber, great job. Paulie, you're still over um, seventeen. And I, I was given a speech, me and uh uh ted scott we were doing a thing in front of about 750 guys in Publix. i mean i just said a Publix. that would be interesting that's a, I, don't, I shop there too <laughs> i haven't seen you there out at phoenix and uh bubba facetimed in and they put him on the microphone and he told the entire uh, 750 guys out in the uh, audience that i was still over 17 so oh um if i don't get that story out he would be mad at me. he goes paul just keep telling people just keep making me look funny and making you look bad at golf that's fine i love that story so um, I had to get that part out. No, that's that
1: that's fine. Um, I mean, well, you know, now you're, this story is very self-deprecating to you. So why don't we, we really, you know, open this up and give you a chance to tell an embarrassing story about Bubba Watson? Wouldn't that be a great oh, idea?
0: That would be a great idea. Here's the problem. I've got a lot of them. <laughs> um, and to find like, my, and to find like my favorite would be really, really hard to do, but it's much easier to say, uh, the funny stories because the guy, I don't think he's normal. I think we all know that. I uh, mean, okay. the guy's got a pink shaft, he's got everything else, but we were at the president's cup, our first one in 2011, it was Webb's first uh, event. He was the highest ranked player on the American team over in Australia. I think he was fifth in the world at the time. And, um, and uh, Weber started off just a little shaky, even though he did hit the pin on the first hole, which I tried to remind Weber, but I uh, tried to remind Bubba, but after the fourth hole, he's like, Paul, I got to get in your man's head. Watch this, watch this. And so he gives him this whole speech about, he's the highest ranked player and all that. He goes, "Webb, you got to remember you're the best
1: around. Nothing's going to um, keep
0: you down. No. And I, that song annoys me it annoyed me way back i think that might have been a karate kid thing. it is but it is well there you go another ralph macchio another mr Miyagi <laughs> story we got that's we two all of the same we podcasts. are all
1: over the place on this episode that's It's exact, great it's awesome
0: and so and i and i hated it well that very hole after he sung the song to whoever whoever made a 12 footer for birdie and they went on alternate shot to birdie seven of their next 12 holes um alternate oh, shot which is almost unheard of And they were singing the song, Ted Scott, Bubba Watson, and WebSense, and I hated it. And they knew I hated it. So every time they make Birdie, they would all (laughs) wait to come up to me and sing it about as loud as they could in front of me. Um, And I still have to hear it now. Um, The next uh, Ryder Cup, this was 2012, he had a song, they call me Mr. Fairway. Um. So every time he hit a fairway, he would sing it to me. And I'm like, Bubba, you're driving me nuts. And so he really enjoys that aspect of it. And, uh, he, he's, he is different, um, without a doubt, but, uh, he is, uh, he's special in his own right. He's a good man, but, uh, he's, he's very witty. You can't get a whole lot by him.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: I yeah. Well, that'd be a fun conversation with that guy. Um
0: Yeah. Oh, it would be for sure. Oh my gosh.
1: Uh let's see. So let me get your take on a couple of things. The fan experience at the uh, on the PGA tour. I, I know you can probably speak to this much better than I can, but it feels like the last several years it's become more of a party, the more VIP tents. Everything seems to be booze sponsored, grandstands, and it's less and less about the golf. And I'm not just talking about the waste management, but Um, all this crap is being done in your workplace. Uh, Is that a big effect on you or (laughs) web? I'm
0: I'm probably gonna lose a few fans on this
1: one. No, Um, because well, well, the reason I'm asking is because the people that listen to this golf podcast enjoy golf, enjoy the the stories. I'm torn on it too. Like I understand it's a big money grab, and I understand it makes for a party. But I'm almost like, like it. I'm kind of like it's kind of jumped the shark a little bit in my in my opinion
0: uh i'm first of all i'm old 47 years old yeah, I'm, 40,
1: and it, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close i'm about i'm 40 okay. 42 so i'm right there
0: <laughs> and and i'm old school um man i liked that golf was different um i liked that you're quiet when a player is hitting um i liked that there was a certain etiquette that came with golf um we have so many other sports where you can yell and scream and and dance and do all these other things that i mean that part for me it's it's been hard um I, I don't think i'll ever quite get used to it uh you know i didn't mind uh phoenix to be that one different week you know we right. get 500 or 600,000 people come across there in 4 days like okay let's let it be but now each tournament has created a 17 toll and this past week at honda um you know you've got 2,000 people surrounding that t box you've got water short you have a bunker long that if it goes in that bunker a lot of times you can't hold the green. right um it's a six iron sometimes a five iron in there and you know we doubled it both days on the weekends we had a guy you know kind of yelling our backswing uh, on saturday and then um uh somebody else got that one on our backswing on sunday we went double double and we went from finishing thirty sixth to i think we would have finished 12th um on those two and you know, these are just things that I, 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 wish golf was immune from. Um, and it looks like this is the new norm. Um, I realized my paycheck is big because of the fan experience. I realize those things. It's just, uh, Again, I, I kind of like uh, I like the old school way uh, that golf was, and I think those days are gone pretty much for good, uh, except for the British Open, which they've got it dialed in. Um, they oh, yeah. really do. They, they they do a great job there.
1: What? Um, let's see. Hardest week or tournament of the year for you, and and not just physically but maybe Mm. the hardest course for you to plot your way around the hardest course for you to do your work at. This one's easy. Yeah.
0: This one's extremely easy. And not just for you.
1: I'm sorry, not just for you, but I'm saying if I asked, if I asked a dozen caddies, what do I think? It's Augusta. Uh, I would
0: think it's Augusta for almost all of us. Um, number one, just start with the physical demand of it. It is a beast. Um, so many huge elevations there Um, just a massive golf course when it comes to the physical demand on the body and uh, also the fact that almost all of us walk at least 27 a day there Um, still even the the tournament days going out to watch other guys golf or other guys play and trying to learn so that's the first answer second answer is just the extreme difficulty um, especially for a guy like Webb with Webb's length um, I, I assume the other guys struggle with some of the stuff just as much but you know a hole like number one we're back there hitting a five iron in and there's only about an eight yard wide area that we can land the ball and that's a uh, length and uh, width as far as a uh, distance and direction and trying to figure out how to hit the green if you don't hit the green where can we leave the ball where we got the best chance of getting up and down and You know, hole like number four that's 240 yards and the wind's, you know, blowing through the trees, supposed to be into out of the right, but you're getting hit down out of the left. How do you decide what club to hit? And, um, you know, 12, we all know about 12. uh, You sit there, 11's, you know, tough, but you sit there on 12 and the first guy hits a nine iron over the green. The next guy hits an eight iron in the front water and you're sitting there hitting third. You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. Yeah. Um, You know, just uh, trying to work your way around that golf course to get the most out of your golf game. It is uh, at the end of that day, I have never in my life, every day, felt that exhausted mentally, physically. Um, And just, I get a little more anxious at Augusta too. I think because you know everything you're going to face um and just trying to successfully get through each hole doing the best you can trying to make the best decisions you can and trying to stay focused for that length of time um it is it used to be you know back before they lengthened the golf course it used to be fun i never won the weekend but now um it's so demanding that (laughs) by the time the week's over i'm ready to go home uh, to be honest with you wow
1: give me the caddy that makes you laugh every time you see him
0: but definitely, I, I know I always pick on the same guys. But always Teddy Scott, the guy. I think it's all these years with, with Bubba. I think he's just developed. I mean, he, first of all, he's about a comedian as he goes anyway. He's so talented. Um, he is. He's able to make another Ryder Cup story, 2014. Um, again, just kind of been a strange week already, and we're on the second hole of uh, the four ball competition against Poulter and uh, Rory, and he uh, he pulls over and. He goes, guys, 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 huddle in. He goes, I've got the key for today's round. And we're like, okay, what is it, bud? And he pulls out his room key. It, it's just like dumb yeah. stuff oh like that God. that he does. <laughs> dumb stuff like that that he does all the time, and just breaks the ice really, really well. He doesn't really wear. He's not going to let bad golf or good golf really go to his uh, go to his head. He's going to kind of keep things light.
1: Okay. Um- all right. Well that leads me into this one. The player caddy relationship that works in the golf course, but you look over and you shake your head because like these two guys are just so different and I have no idea huh. how that works. Man, okay.
0: All right. Let me I'll have to think about that one a little bit. Let's let's see. Right. Um No, no, I'm trying to go through all kind of the longer term guys out there. No, on that one. Um uh I got a pretty how about Brooks Kepka and his caddy Ricky okay so so brooks american ricky irish Mm -hmm. uh he's now an american citizen though so let's give him some credit on that one obviously um ricky is funny talks all the time uh can tell a story with the best of them um like he's the guy he's the life of the party and he is a great caddy um brooks is a great guy he's just much more reserved much more to himself um, I think Ricky weighs about 145 and has the muscle tone um, of a teenager. Nice. Uh, no offense, Ricky, if you're listening right now. And then you got Kepka, who looks like a, a wrestler out there. Yeah. Uh, he's just ripped, built, and I so very, very different. They get along incredibly well, and Ricky does an incredible job for uh, for him.
1: That's awesome. Um, what the hell do you do during a rain delay to keep your mind straight? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I, I'm bad. Thank goodness for the iPhone nowadays. I'll usually pull out, start texting, sending emails, play a game on my phone, get my spades game going. Well, because Web uh, Web something.
1: can't sit still. I think I've I think no. I've read that like, so, you you can hang and do nothing. And yeah. he just he's he just can't.
0: Such a true story. So Weber, he doesn't really mind. That he goes in. He loves like hanging out with the other guys. So he'll go in and get a table because again, you know, there is still a little difference between the caddy and the player hangout.
1: Oh. A lot yeah. of times
0: we are outside in a white metal shaped tent during uh, rain and lightning uh, storms. So we're we're all out praying we're all out praying i'm holding bible study outside so we can get through a live uh while the players are inside eating salmon and tuna and steak uh and that kind of stuff you know drinking uh perrier and telling stories probably about the caddies nice uh as they're in there so but but he loves the he loves that time so he's pretty good about it for us you know it is kind of tough because we do we are generally still outside and as soon as it clears up, we got to do a little fight for the range a lot of times because there's not enough spots. Everybody has to go out at the same time. So our experiences are a little bit different, but we usually hang out. I'll get on my phone. I'll call my wife and uh, – Maybe play a little game, play a little spades or something like that. There you
1: go. What are some things that you see out of new caddies coming on tour that if you were, if you were the, uh, I mean, you're now entering your 20th year. I hate to break, yes. it, hate yeah. to break that one to you. Um, Yeah,
0: it's okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, but, but what do you see out of new caddies that if you, uh, if they came to you saying, Hey, you know, Mr. Tesori, you know, do, can, can, do you have any advice for a new yeah. caddy? What's something that you see immediately that you're like, that's got to stop?
0: Yeah, so two things, um, and this is something I had to learn. I made the same mistake, so it was easy for me. I, and I've uh, uh, quite a few caddies. Uh, I'd say probably a couple dozen have called and asked similar questions that to kind of younger guys have come out um, and asked those questions. And my first one is when yes will do, allow yes to do. Um, when that's perfect, will do, allow that's perfect to do. Um, there are times when over caddying can become an issue, and okay. I used to be, I used, I used to do that. And so it was easy for me to see because I wanted people to hear how smart I was. Um, you know, if Weber says, hey, Paulie, is this seven still good? Yes, but it's perfect. I don't need to go in and giving the 19 reasons why it's perfect. Yeah. Just say, yes, but it's perfect. That's it. Now, if he's on a six and you are on a seven, and this is my other advice I give him, I always say, guys, give them factual reasons why not because I think so or because it feels like it or because Joe hit, seven iron before us or because tell them why buddy here's the here's the truth the wins into out of the right the number we're trying to pitch it is 167 right now that's playing 175 um you know the front's only 160 so no matter what seven's enough to cover that it's just a better club like so I always tell them two things say yes or that's perfect when that's all that's needed that'll do And the next thing is if you're trying to convince them if they're about to make a mistake give them the factual reasons why not just because Joe did it, or because that's the way you feel it should be done.
1: Perfect. Okay, this is an i. This is a question that I hadn't come up. There is a a. Um, I don't watch any reality TV. I would imagine you don't watch a lot of it either. But I don't. Okay. Well, there apparently is a show called like I think it's Trading Spouses or Wife Swap. So we're going to play the caddy version of of Wife Swap. Um, okay. You you have to go out onto the Champions Tour for a month. And okay. you need to take over the bag for a champions tour player. It can't be Jerry Kelly. It can't be VJ Singh. But okay. you got to take their bag, and then you have to put that caddy with Webb. Can you yes. think of a champions guy that you want to go loop? Done. For? Okay. Easy.
0: Easiest answer ever. Because I want to spend time around this man. That's Bernhard Langer. I want to know what's going on in that guy's head. I want to know how is he still this good at his age. Okay. And I know his caddy. His caddy lives in Jacksonville. Um, he's a good guy. He's very similar to me. Works his can off. A good guy, and he would fit in well with Weber right away. He probably would want a little break and some laughter, um, and I would probably bring Bernhard some laughter. But I just, I told Weber, like, like I would love to if he'd be willing to at some sometime. Maybe Bernhard would have us out to his house. I just would like to go spend two days with him and just really ask a lot of questions. I mean, what this guy has done, I think, is one of the most impressive things in the last 30 years in golf, uh, take away Tiger Woods. I think what Bernhard Langer has done should be number two.
1: Well, and, and I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I think if I remember correctly, Bernhard Langer was one of the guys that, that I think went to Webb and, and said, Hey, keep working on the putting. It's going to come around. Well,
0: well yeah so um i actually uh, one of the things i asked weber to do was to call bernhardt and he did he okay layman and bernhardt because they had both been through the yips and uh, i wanted them to give him great advice um they both obviously had the same faith as weber um and they had both been through the yips so i said to call he called layman first layman said call bernie so he called <laughs> langer he called langer immediately and they talked for three hours and weber said it was just incredible to spend that kind of time on the phone and bernhardt was unbelievably kind patient uh, you know, very forthright with his own struggles. Um, and just, I mean, I can't, I can't really think more of the guy. Um, and again, would love to experience that up close for any length of time, I think would be uh, um, just a bonus to me and a learning experience for
1: sure. I, I was at the Chubb Classic in Naples for a couple of days and I was standing on the practice putting green, like probably 10 feet away, watching him just hit putt after putt. And it's funny because I, I use a long putter as well. And okay. I'm just watching this guy and I'm just like, I, I, I you know, he a- did you see, uh, I don't
0: know if you saw Vijay went to it this past week at Honda I Man, did.
1: Again, had, had great success with it. So yeah, um, I saw David that. Hearn
0: went back to it and it's putting well again. So. All
1: right. So I'm going to wade into this one gently. I don't think I need to, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the United States golf association has some new rules for your game of golf. I did. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so whether it's the accidental drop from shoulder height or, or caddies in the through line or, or anything like that, you know, I'm, we're recording this right after the Honda, uh, you know, JT, Justin Thomas and the USGA get into this little Twitter back and forth with which I just think is absurd because, you know, take that crap offline because no one looks good in that situation, in my opinion. Um, so there are fans out there that think, uh, you know, hey, these guys make so much money. These players are, you know, why can't they just read the damn rules and move on? What is something that maybe the average fan just does not understand about some of that stuff?
0: Yeah. So I think anything that we want, whether it's in sport, whether it's in business, whether it's in our family, our marriages, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Uh, we want things to be fair. Um, I think all of us, we react when something's not fair. And I think in golf, uh, it's always been such a meticulous sport anyway with the rules that we call on ourselves a different sport. And when rules start to interfere with guys' careers and rules start to impact um, guys' abilities to keep their cards, to be on President's Cup teams, tour championships, be able to do all these things, and the guy has done nothing wrong. Things need to change. And, you know, in golf, Weber, unfortunately, is one of those that back in the day, you know, he had a ball move on a three-inch putt where he didn't ground his club within five inches of the ball and it cost him a tournament in new orleans and, you know at the end of his career it could cost him uh um the hall,
1: the hall of, of fame, fame it yeah. could
0: cost him a lot we, we we don't know those things and uh you know that year it cost him uh, the masters It cost him the us open it cost him other things that year and you know now they've changed that rule which is better but now you got you know this new rule they created with you know the caddy can't stand behind the player and um, it, the, the USGA even said it's done basically for the women's sport where caddies were lining their players up and right. here we are at the Honda last week and Adam Shank is one shot out of the lead And he shows up on Saturday and he's got 35 minutes before he's got to go tee off and here comes the PJ tour telling me it's two shot penalty because he violated the caddy alignment rule well the rule that was broken was on the 17th hole um, Adam had pulled his shot on the par three and it was buried in the lip in the left-hand side and He had to bring his caddy, Mark Cairns, over to see if on his backswing, his club was going to hit the lip of the bunker or not, to see if he could get to the ball or if he needed to take an unplayable. They decided that it wasn't going to hit the bunker. Adam or um, Mark left. Adam hit his shot, made his bogey, and moved on about his business. Well, they said he violated the caddy alignment rule. Here's the problem. He wasn't aligning him up. He wasn't doing anything. He was just trying to make sure – that the club didn't hit the lip of the bunker, and that's where the implementation of rules—they um, do such a horrific job of. You know, the rule for the long putter, which you said you're a long putter user, says that as long as there's no intent to anchor the club, that it's okay. Well, obviously, there's no intent in that area that he was trying to line up his player, so there should not have been a penalty. Yet it was two shot penalty, and could drastically alter alter Adam's career um you know and these are areas that it shouldn't happen um you know ricky fowler taking a drop um from the shoulder height instead of this new knee height drop it looks terrible and you know the whole adage they keep trying to say is to grow the game well you know professional golfers um out trying to win the masters taking a drop from their knee it looks horrific and it's really not changed anything that they're trying to do to change uh the ball rolling and so at least make it an option uh these are things that they did not go over with the players now i know our commissioner came out and said that the pga tour as a whole backed the rules but they the players did not know um and and there's where it lies and then the last one putting with the flag stick in a great rule for recreational golf if you go play with the boys and y'all going to play your local club leave a pin in it's going to speed up play but I play in a lot of Florida State Golf Association events, and it's slowing down play because two guys want it in, two guys want it out, and we don't have caddies. Right. And, you know, the thought of um, Adam Scott putting out on 18 at Augusta in 2019 from three and a half feet with a pin in, it gives me – it doesn't look right. It's gives, not good. Yeah. Uh, and even the even the RNA guy now, Mike Davis said everything was going fine, which is not true. Uh, the RNA guy said it just doesn't look right. It's not what we thought the pin in was going to be left for. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with two sets of rules. I really don't. I think there should be um, a the um, either professional rules and amateur rules or whatever you want to do. You know, in basketball you got two different lines. In baseball you use two different kinds of bats. Um, you have all these different rules in other sports but I don't think there's wrong with a, a separate set of rules uh, for, for both areas they just um, the USGA the men they're, they're good men they just have no communication uh, when it comes to the right areas and I mean maybe the tours are blame too I don't know they just they really need to get together and figure these things out because I believe personally it's ruining our game and affecting careers that uh, should not be affected.
1: Well, and it's also, you know, the other thing, and that's very well said, and, and I don't think you're – you're. Uh, I think it's very heartfelt and it's very logical what you're saying. The other thing, too, is golf is a hard enough game as it is, and we're always yes. talking about growing the game and getting kids involved yes. and getting it to the mainstream. Yes. And if we got to see on Twitter or we got to see on Instagram or, or anything like that, or it's all about the other things – Like, you know, I'm sure at some point, Ricky Fowler will look back and see the video of him doing the knee high drop with, you know, kind of replicating, you know, taking a dump in the fairway. He's not going to be super proud of that at some point. But I understand why he showed his displeasure. But we don't need things like that being on in the media. We we need to get that away. Um, Right.
0: Well, I, I here's the hard part. We've tried every other way with the USGA. Oh no, I, I yeah, yeah, no. And and I, I think here's what my disappointing thing is. I, I, hear you, but like, you know what, Justin Thomas and everything else. But then I don't know if you saw USGA tweeted back at oh, Justin, yeah. cancel Well, then they came back out and said that that was wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, that
0: that that, that never happened
1: with their non-apology. Well, there we go again. The right. USGA
0: came out. And said things that were completely untrue it was not true and yet they come out and say things again it's that communication aspect and the truth is and this is the scary part we don't need them they need us and i don't care what anybody says like at some point they need to be uh, leaning on us to help make the rules not us leaning on them and i think when that comes if that comes Everything will change for for the better, for the better of the game, for the growth of the game. Um, I just wish the USJ and RNA, I believe they think that they are above the game um and i wish that they would rely more on the players that are actually putting the 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 face of the game on the map right rely on them to help them make the rules let them still make the rules it's a hard job a lot harder than i can imagine but they need to rely and maybe get rid of a little bit of the ego and just maybe say hey guys we're making way too many mistakes help us help us help you um and i think things will get better
1: Well, it's really outside the box. That's why I thought I'd throw it out that's there. That's true. Oh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Absolutely. It would definitely get everybody's attention. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Mike Davis, uh, I can't, um, I don't know if you were there for it, but, you know, Mike Davis is a lot of things, but he is definitely not press conference security. But in 2012, he had to be press conference security. Or, or, I'm sorry, awards, <laughs> awards right. ceremony that's security. Right. Yes. Were you yeah. there when he had to grab that lunatic away during <laughs> during uh, the presentation of the trophy to win? No.
0: So, buddy, I'm so bad. Um, I had a red eye that night, and I wanted to get back and see my family. Oh, okay. So when Webb left to go out and do everything, I hugged him and left. And, um, you know, on that long flight, obviously on the way back, because I had just made a little extra cash and wanna I had uh, I had the internet, so I started uh, reading the stories, and of course I wanted I kept tilting my phone so the people sitting next to me would see that what what had just happened because I just wanted to talk to somebody about it. <laughs> but everybody else was sleeping on the way back. I saw Jonathan Bird was the only guy I saw, gave him a big hug, and hopped on my flight home. But um, I had some people waiting when I got home, and my wife and some friends had made some fun stuff. But I didn't. I did watch the video uh, on the plane uh, on the way back uh, once we had landed, so that was good to be able to see. But you know, one of the things people did not get to see was that mike actually threw the guy in a bunker uh that was off the screen mike took the guy and grabbed him and threw the guy in the bunker when Webb quipped enjoy the night in the jail cell pal yeah um, yeah, yeah and and hey i, I do want to say one thing just because the guys from the usga i do i don't think they're bad people no i, I know, just think I that there's a severe lack of communication between them
1: and the tour that's it yeah um yeah. Before I let you go, um, you know, you, you mentioned Ask Anything, so I, I know I'm not going to ask you to recount the Tiger Who story with- with uh, Please with, do. Oh, oh, God.
0: No, let's do it. Come on. Let's do it.
1: The second last question I'm going to ask okay. you, so either you, you start however you want to, but um, <laughs> what does Paul Tessori say to a 21-year-old Paul Tessori right now?
0: Mm, I love that. Okay, so let's start with the Tiger Who story. Fine. This is Tiger's favorite story. He loves me to retell it at every single team event. He will bring me in in front of everybody to retell it several times. Um, And so the story goes like this. It was 2000. It was 2000. It was my third event caddying. Um, It was the President's Cup in West Virginia.
1: And when you say third event, you mean third event event ever. Ever
0: caddying for VJ. Third event. I'm on the international team. I'm caddying for VJ Singh. We get paired with Tiger the first match, second match, third match, and fourth match. Uh, the Americans only need a point and a half to win. The matches are over. It's on. And of course, in singles, who do we get? We get Tiger for the fifth straight day. Uh, we show up, and the ball boys had 12 hats, beautifully made up, international hats that said Tiger Who on the back, uh, embroidered. And I asked them why. And I said, well, 23 to 24 guys had signed the flag. Tiger hadn't signed it yet. He did end up signing it uh, later on, but he hadn't signed it at the time. Um, and so they, and I went to VJ. I said, VJ, look at these hats. I said, you know, I think it's funny, and he goes, "Oh, I did too. That's great." So I thought it was hilarious. Well, we get out in the match; we're one up through three, and the fourth hole is a par three. There, vj hits it about nine feet for birdie. Tiger hits it over the green. I think he hits it left the green in the water. Chips it to like forty feet for bogey. vj obviously just says that's good. He's putting for bogey. vj has got nine feet for birdie.
1: Yeah.
0: I, Tiger doesn't get Vijay's putt, and I, it's kind of weird. vj lags it down. When I say a millimeter, it is hanging over the edge. And we didn't hear anything. And VJ looks over at Tiger, and he's standing on the side of the green with his arms crossed and a growl on his face. And VJ says, I think he saw your hat and doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tiger made us putt it from a millimeter. We went to the next hole, and Tiger, who had played terrible all week, Noda gay was his partner, and Noda was carrying Tiger all week. Tiger then proceeded. I remember the swing on the next hole. He had about an extra twenty degrees turn. Hit about three oh five down the middle of the fairway. Was seven under overs next twelve, and beat us two and one. Well, when we get done, there's about twenty reporters waiting for me, and you know very quickly I realized that what I thought was funny, other people are going to make into a big story, and it became a big story. So. Um, Nothing was really said for a long time. I went up to Tiger. We got paired together five weeks in a row after that. Oh, Those God. two weren't really talking. You know, I went with to Tiger and apologized. I said, buddy, I, I didn't mean anything disrespectful. I thought it was funny. It was five straight days playing with you guys. You know, we busted up your Grand Slam. We're the only guy to win a major besides you. I thought it was funny. And he goes, oh, I didn't take it offensively. It did make me want to kick y'all's butt. You know, he used a different word for butt. Uh, sure. But it did make me want to kick y'all's butt. And so we didn't talk about it for 11 years, 2012 written around the putting green. He walks by and he plays a game called Call of Duty. And I always tell him that he needs to just, you know, be an, he needs to be Tiger who needs to be his nickname uh, on the game. So I by, I said, what's up, Tiger who? And he said, what's up two and one. Oh. So it had been 12 years and
1: he's right there.
0: And he did not even skip a quarter of a second uh, on the, uh, on the deal. And so that's one of his favorite stories that he loves me to retell it. Um, he really loves the part with his arms crossing the scowl on his face uh, before we had to put the one millimeter. But, um, you know, it was obviously something if I had to do over again, I wouldn't have done. However, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Um, because now it's a great story that uh, Tiger gets to retell and, and, and all that good stuff.
1: I guess I want to ask about Tiger is that do you think he ever was prepared for what his 40s were going to be like? And I'm not talking about the injuries and, and, and all the personal yeah. things he went through, but he has all of these players out there that he
0: yeah has, that he's he, he, he has Even to be mentor.
1: aware that all of that occurred because of what he did yeah 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 yeah
0: well you got to remember too and, and he's a different tiger
1: oh yeah um, i think yeah, it's much the, more fascinating the tiger, too
0: the tiger pre-kids i did not like at all um the tiger uh you know pre-2008 i didn't like at all yeah. um he played games on the course, like, you know, kind of mind games. Um, he did a lot of things I didn't appreciate. Um, you know, he just uh, he wasn't, just wasn't that, that nice of a guy, to be honest with you. Um, and it's amazing what kids do to us all. And he is now one of my favorite people to see. Um, I remember the first time we were over in Turkey in 2013, and I remember him stopping practice before a match and asking Webb how his family was. And I just sat back, like, what is happening right, right
1: now? Right, right. Who is this guy? Um,
0: who is this guy and what's going on? And, you know, now, um, you know, he makes fun of it. every time he sees me, he goes, Paulie, a thousand dollars. If you don't talk today, you know, he just, you know, it, that's the fun time. That's the, and and he's older now, but kids change our lives. And, you know, Tiger wants to still be great, but he doesn't care about being the best he can possibly be right now. Cause he wants to be the best he can possibly be as a dad. He wants to be, um, a great, um, you know, mentor for this game now. And he still wants to beat them, right. but he knows that this is his generation. He knows that these guys are hitting it farther than they've ever hit it. He knows these guys are fearless. Um, you know, all the young guys say, I wish we could have Tiger in his no, best. Not and I try <laughs> to tell them, no, you don't. No, no, you don't. Uh, you, you don't. Just let me tell you, just like LeBron and everybody, oh, I wish we had Michael Jordan. No, you don't. He was the best defender in the league. He would have stopped you. That's the problem. I mean, he was not only the best scorer in the league, he was the best defender in the league. Tiger was the best player of all time. And, um, you know he, he came at a time when um, we needed him and now it's his generation that's taken over and golf's in a great place and um, I'm thankful for and I'm also thankful for uh, you know what kids in this personality change has done for him he's just a kinder gentler he's still funny yeah. he's still uh, very very witty um, and he's still a competitor he's still not gonna be out there you know rooting for you but He's just he's just a different man now, and I love this version of him. And uh, it's been nice for me to, to be able to see the entire transgression, uh, the you know transformation, not tra- yeah. transformation uh, of when he was a rookie to now, and it, it's been fun to watch.
1: How good of a captain is he going to be? Whether it's presence, uh,
0: incredible. Or oh, he's going to be great, and and he's going to be the great in both worlds. He's going to make sure everybody has fun, but also step it up and uh, and give us a hard time when we need it. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, and, you know, your last question, which was a great one, a 21-year-old Baltasore. So I'm going to start. I'm going to – Rocco Mediate, um, I was in junior college. I was 19 years old, and he did a clinic for us in in Jacksonville. We were playing at SCCJ's tournament, and Rocco said something that the difference between guys that make it and guys that don't make it are guys that make it know why. And at the time, he was like this young kid, Phil Mickelson. He knows why, and he's going to make it. And I never understood it. I did not understand what Rocco was meant because the older I got, the more I realized what he meant and you got to know why, what you do works. You know, why are you a good driver of the ball? Why are you, do you have a good short game? Why are you good mentally? Why? Um, and the guys that know why they are your superstars. They know why things work. And the guys that, don't know why they're the ones that i don't like to use the term flash in the pan but they get hot for a while and then they go away right because maybe, maybe they're a good putter but they don't know why they're a good putter maybe they have a good short game but they have no idea why um and that's what vj taught me is vj knew why everything worked he knew why each aspect of his game worked and that's why he was great and could depend on it um tiger knew why everything worked and i had no idea why anything i did worked until i was 35 years old and it was too late for me Um, I feel like I'm I'm just as good of a player now at 47 because I know why whatever I do I know why it works and I know why it doesn't work. I know why both ways Um, and that's one huge thing I was able to kind of bring to Sean and now definitely bring to Weber and why Weber has gotten back to being a top 20 player in the world again and starting to contend at majors again is because we now know why his mind is strong we know why his short game is strong and um, why his body has gotten stronger as far as workouts and stuff. So just know why. And, you know, I think the same thing in your profession, you know, why are you talent? Why are you good at your job? Cause you're prepared. You did re- you did more research on me than I've done on me. Um, <laughs> uh, but you, you came in, you came in prepared. You knew why, uh, the reason why you're good is cause you know, um, your guest, you're going to do research on them. You're going to ask intentional questions to get intentional answers. And, um, you know why you're good at it. Cause you prepare for it. And I think it's the same way in business, um, or, uh, sports, no matter what you're
1: doing. Well, that's, uh, I appreciate the compliment and that's, that's great information for for anyone in any walk of life, whether we're talking about golf or business or family or faith or anything like that. So, so that's uh, so true, Paul, this has been phenomenal. Uh, I feel we could probably go on for two or three more hours, but, but you need to go play some golf or go get ready for the players championship um yes wish you you we didn't even talk about the players but hey every, i know hey hey everyone Webb simpson won the players championship last year <laughs> they're gonna go try and defend there we covered it um
0: there we covered good it. Good, Great.
1: good luck at the players i hope we can do it again sometime and again thanks for being here at the back of the range
0: then thanks for having me on i love talking to you buddy and maybe after we either go back to back or close off major this year we'll get to chit chat again
1: absolutely And there you have it. Another great episode here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Special thanks to Paul Tassori for joining us this week. Good luck to him and Webb Simpson as they try to defend the Players' Championship. Don't forget, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Everything you need is in the show notes of this episode. We'll see you again next week for Episode 65 here at the Back of the Range.